This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally, Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Let's go, business storytellers. Hey, how's everyone doing? Today, we want to talk about content ops. What is it? Everything is ops now. We have RevOps, Marketing Ops, Content Ops. There's probably many, many more. Why do we have to have ops? Well, I don't know. We'll ask today's guest. My theory is that perhaps it means we have to do stuff. So stop writing these plans that you never implement. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But if that's one of the reasons, that certainly is a good one, in my opinion. Kathy McKnight is joining us today. She's the chief problem solver at the Content Advisory. Chief problem solver. That's an awesome title. Um, Hopefully, maybe I can get something like that when I grow up. So let's get Kathy on the show here and find out why do we need content ops? What is it? And, you know, we'll go from there, see how we can um, use this concept to create better stories, create better um, content for our companies. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Christoph. Thanks for having me. I always like to give everybody a fist bump as we get going here. There you go. We don't shake hands anymore. COVID is still running rampant. Kathy, content ops. What is it? Why do we need it? Why should we care about it? So content ops has just become a huge focus. Um, A lot, I think, really coming out of or coming into COVID was people were so focused on strategy and, you know, you could just lean over your your uh, your partition and and talk to your colleagues. And now it's you know, it's a little more difficult to connect in the moment. So all of a sudden there was this bright shining light on the fact that maybe companies, you know, for all of the strategy, I love what you said about, you know, we, maybe we need to put our pens down, our virtual pens down for a minute and, and really look at what we're planning to do. And content operations is just that. It's the set of processes, people, technology, et cetera, that you need to strategically plan, create, manage, analyze, store, reuse content across your channels, across the enterprise, so that you're able to get the content you're creating to your audiences. So it's it's really about creating a framework to uh, empower the content you're creating um, to deliver the experiences you want to your audiences, wherever they are, whenever they need it. And of course, um, that is super necessary. And I, I liken it a little bit to creating content by formula, right? When you talk about frameworks, this is what we do, then we do this, then we do something else. And I always chuckle a little bit when people tell me, oh, we don't want to be so restrained by a framework. We are creative or whatever. And even back in my journalism days, when there were really no frameworks or, you know, type into this box to do whatever, it was just one big thing. We wrote by formula. The inverted pyramid is a formula, people. It is. So there is some, you know, something to be said about having the right process. But how do we know 
that we need to do this? And I mean, how do we know that content ops is for us? I mean, do, do we need a team of 59 people or, or how do we know we need to have a content ops framework? Yeah, you know, content ops, often companies will say, oh, we're, we're small, we're nimble, we don't need a formal operations strategy, but entirely untrue. Um, no matter whether you're a team of, of two or a team of 202, having a content operations is about structuring, putting structure around the business of creating and sharing content. So, you know, any organization that maybe has misaligned content priorities to business priorities, so they haven't looked at why they're creating content um, and how it bubbles up to organizational uh, goals and objectives, um, if there's a lack of ability to collaborate. So you really need to connect with a subject matter expert or somebody else in your org in order to create the content that you need or, or want to create, and there's an inability to do that, or it's just super hard. Um, in general, it's difficult to get content not only created, but approved. So in regulated industries, so you think about thin services and higher ed and, and healthcare, where there's a lot of protocols and um, rules around the engagement of content, you need to make sure that the content that needs to be approved is getting approved, but that you're not creating and bogging down the process by sending things through that are that don't need approval or review. Um, so really, there are so many facets to it that I, I can't think of a single company or industry where content ops wouldn't make their lives easier when it comes to creating content for their audiences. Well, and even if you have a team of just one, I mean, I know you mentioned two is a team, one is not really a team may not be a content team, but even a, a content team of one works with other people in the company, right? Whether it's marketing ops or even sales or the social team or whatever it might be. Now, sometimes when I hear people talk about frameworks, they some naysayers might say, oh, that's very limiting. It's almost like the gatekeeper model, right? It's <laughs> like you have to fill out this form, you have to do this. And it slows things down. But you're not saying that, right? You're saying it should enable you to, to, to move quicker and get things done? Absolutely. And, and so back to your point, you know, when I said a, a content a team of two, unless you are a, a single entrepreneur where it's only you, there's going to be somebody else involved in the content process, right? So when we talk about setting up content operations, it's about facilitating a content uh, ecosystem, so where if you, whether you're contributing, whether you're approving, whether you're generating, whether you're storing, whether you're just accessing, there needs to be awareness of the content operations within the organization. So, and often, you know, to your point, people think, oh, framework and operations, it's just going to slow things down. It actually enables because people understand how to get things done. So by documenting and putting into place some rigor around how content gets generated, um, right from ideation through to archive, it actually speeds things up and makes things easier. And not only that is it makes content within an organization so much more powerful because now people have a place to go where right now, to your point, you know, at the outset of our conversation where, you know, we need to just stop at creating content at will or willy nilly um, because a lot of the time the content that people need, it's already there or it's 80% there. So rather than recreating the wheel, they can actually go and find something and say, hey, this is just about perfect. Either it'll do, 
and boom, they have the content, it's approved, it's laid out, it's, you know, it's, it's ready to go, or it's so far down the path that, and, you know, rather than it taking, you know, two weeks, two months, it's now going to take a couple of days or maybe a week to get it turned around and they have it in hand. So it's, it's really about making the content more powerful. And making the content more powerful, that also includes the existing content. I'll give you an example. I, um, if you've ever noticed this, um, and I struggle with this sometimes too, not today, because everything, except now I hit my mic, everything is set up correctly. But you know that wobbly camera, the camera wobbles, and there is a gazillion reasons why that happens from you know, it's not uh, tightened correctly or I'm, you know, I got my 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 desk where I'm standing when I'm standing at my desk. It's it's very pronounced. But guess what? I was going to write about it. But I already have an article that talks about tripods that is performing so, so, so. I mean, it's OK. It's not right. so bad that I would throw it out, but it's also not so good that I would say, oh, I should never touch this article again because it can't do any better but it's in the middle, right? So I just thought I'd go back and I update that article with this new information, maybe optimize it a little bit differently. But back in the journalism days, people didn't do that. I still think there's a lot of content teams. They're so focused on creating new content, they forget about going back and updating old content or existing content. I mean, is that part of it? Absolutely. It's also how you think about content. So Often, more often than not, when we think about content, we think about, I need a white paper, I need an infographic, I want to do a webinar. And it's the final asset where you start, when really what it should be is the ideation of, okay, what's the topic at hand and who is the audience? And when you start putting the audience first, so starting at the, you know, the audience being the epicenter of why and how content is created, you can then go ahead and create different elements to yes, ultimately create that final product that you're looking for. But when you create it in components, um, it makes it infinitely more usable. So, you know, as you mentioned, your article on tripod. So if you had thought about that article or that blog post um, from a, a topic and audience perspective, maybe you would have, you know, created an infographic about the tripod and maybe you would have done a few images and then maybe an intro and um, some quotes. And if you assembled it in bits and pieces to rework it and create something different, like you're talking about now, um, would be so much easier. Because once you have something baked and it's done, it's really hard to move away as best as you can to optimize that document because you're, you're kind of anchored to the original piece. But if it's individual pieces, you know, think about it in, in Lego blocks Maybe originally you were building a car, but if you take all those Lego blocks apart, you can easily put them back into and make it look like a house or a tree. So it, it's about changing how we think about content from the very, very start and move away from the, that finished product focus to the content and audience focus. Well, and don't get me started. The people that come to me, and, and I can't say this is happening to me currently um, ever, um, honestly, but but it has in the past, and they say, Oh, I want this trifold brochure. Now I'm totally aging myself. And I'm like, why do you want a trifold brochure? Like, what problem are we solving? Well, I don't know. I need the trifold brochure. I mean, you can't do anything with that. It's like somebody, the, the worst is when people come and say, I need some content. <laughs> what kind of content? I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, we got to be a little bit more specific and we got to talk about what is the problem we're trying to solve? What are we actually trying to offer to the audience 
and then create that and, and you know, give it the, the uh, content parade uh, treatment, yeah. the create Absolutely. once, publish everywhere um, treatment. Now, you talked about documenting, and, and I'm a big fan of that, too. But I do think the more I think about documenting anything is there has to be a practical application. So I'll tell you how I do it now, and then you tell me how you would do it differently or, or okay. how can we evolve it maybe. So I think when we say documenting, people think put on a piece of paper, you know, print it out, whatever, have it somewhere. You approve it. Now you're doing it, maybe. I've seen many plans where people don't do anything with it. They just put it in the corner and there it is. I still think it helps to write it down briefly. This is what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's why we're going to do it, blah, blah, blah. But then to document it, I have everything transferred into a Trello card, whether you want to use Trello or whatever. I don't really care. But everything that needs to be in the plan is in the Trello card. So before I move this live stream to my podcast, I have to check off all the related tasks to make sure I I actually cover the things I'm trying to accomplish. And that's how it's become part of my day. Um, Tell me, what, what can I do better? Am I on the right track? Well, I think you've got the the foundation exactly right. So you have a repeatable process. So you know you're going to do this this podcast. You know what the output's going to be. Um, so you have a checklist, which I'm assuming that you probably update and review periodically when things start to change a little bit. Whether you change your your platform or you know you get a great idea for an additional thing to add, so you've got to update the list from that perspective. But that's, that's a content operation exactly right there. Now, enabling that to be modified and augmented as need be. So, you know, you have your, your must haves and then other things to consider maybe, you know, so, you know, we talked about, um, you know, whether your guests have a book or maybe they have other events that they want to link to, or they have an upcoming speaking um, engagement. So ticking off, you know, questions to ask that may or may not trigger another action, but that's, that's a, that's a perfectly good and simple approach to content operations and an example of how it doesn't need to be complicated. It can be very straightforward. And I think that's where a lot of companies get um, sort of bogged down and stuck is one, you know, we're constantly being asked, well, where do we start? Um, And then they're afraid to pick the wrong place to start. Right. And it's about starting and starting simple um, and then growing the operations and refining them. It is an absolute case of, um, continuous improvement. Content ops is a is a continuous growth and fine tuning as people get better and you become more innovative. You get your technologies more aligned. You get your roles better defined, um, and your goals um, more aligned with what the organization is is seeking to achieve overall. Yeah, I think people are afraid of a lot of different things and for a lot of different reasons um, on why they don't want to do content correctly. Uh, one that comes to my mind too is uh, the world they grew up in, everything was complete, as complete as we would think it could be, right? A newspaper article for, it's complete, even when it's not, just because it's printed and it goes out the door. Um, But today, I think in content, I'll give you an example. Um, I basically build every content strategy, every content implementation, you know, as I'm flying the plane. You know, I add new pieces in. If I get a new quote, I update the quote and those kind of things. But I don't think, I think there is some people um, in leadership roles, especially, who are not comfortable building publicly, even though the public will never notice that you're building publicly because they only see snapshots. Now, when it comes to doing different things, 
what role does automation play? So I'll give you an example. On the show, I invited you way back when. I send you a link to schedule on my calendar that worked for you as well. You did that. So now once you set that up, then you got automatic reminders, right? Kathy, just a reminder. In a week, we're meeting. Send me any links I need, right? Like I don't do any work. Then you send me your links. I got the links. Then a day later, I get a reminder from the system letting me know, hey, your show is coming up in a week. Schedule the live stream. That's when I can't start promoting it. Then I think yesterday, you got an email saying, hey, don't forget, Crystal, and you're going live tomorrow, um, right? So, so, and then in 90 minutes, you're getting an email saying, the show is already available here and here and here and here. So I don't do any work, but I set that up, right? What role, what other things can we do when it comes to automation and our content, uh, content ops? Yeah. So again, you know, you've got a great system going for companies where there's a larger group of people involved. So where there's approvals and whatnot, that can be automated. So having a workflow where as soon as somebody submits something for approval, it automatically notifies, you know, the one, three, five, however many people are allowed approval approved for um, authorization so that it can be expedited. Um, the ability to be able to tailor who it gets sent to um, from, a, from an approvals process. Publishing date, having a, a product done, something that you know is going to go live, whether it's a, a tweet or an Instagram post or a blog post or whatever it is, having that scheduled within your content management system so that, again, it goes live. If there's a um, period of time where it's only valid for, then automatically having it archived. Anything you can do proactively to take off the pressure of having to do it in the moment, that's one of the things that our technologies have enabled so amazingly, yet so many organizations don't take advantage of it. I think one of the most powerful tools for a content operations um, in general is a content calendar. And whether that content calendar is an Excel spreadsheet, you know, the simplest form of calendar, or you have an actual tool that you're using that is developed for that, having a line of sight into what's being planned and what the next steps are. So you mentioned Trello, another great tool, um, really enables the process to move forward. And I think a lot of companies overlook that ability. And so many already have that capability already in-house and they're not using it. They probably have it multiple times over when it comes to workflow. Um, but it's about choosing a solution and leveraging that um, rather than trying to make it more complex. And so jumping off of that for a second here, making it uh, not making it more complex. Um, feel free, my friends, to do an Excel spreadsheet for your um, calendar, but but please don't. Just use a WordPress calendar. If you're on WordPress, this is a hill. If you disagree, Kathy, please feel free to disagree after I tell my story. And many people do disagree with this, but I personally think that the content creators need to work in the CMS, conceptually speaking. Sometimes that's way harder than I just made that sound. If you use I don't, I'm not going to pick on any, you know, systems, but <laughs> some CMSs are really difficult to work in as a creator. They really truly are. WordPress is not difficult to work in. In fact, in WordPress, you can see the edits from your editor. You can put them next to each other. So this whole argument that you can't see track changes is not even correct. You can see 
what they changed, it doesn't look like word track changes, but it's the same thing. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because there's only so much brain power we have. And the more we spend on creating good content and the less time we spend on, oh my God, how do I use this system? What do I do next? Um, the better for everybody. Tell me if I'm wrong. So I agree, but it, it really is dependent. There's a lot of organizations, they're not allowed to use WordPress. Like it's just, it's, it's not an enabled tool. Um, same thing goes for some other really simple calendaring, calendaring and workflow um, tools. Really easy to implement, but they're not allowed. They don't have the purview to choose the technology in which they want to work. And so when I talk about using Excel, I would far rather see an organization start the calendaring process, start building that muscle in an Excel spreadsheet um, while their technology, their IT group and, and the rest of the teams that are involved in the decision making and approval process get their ducks aligned so that they can start using some some more enabling technology. But the point is to start right away. There is no reason after, you know, when we're working with clients, we'll run a workshop on, on content operations and enablement. And, you know, one of the final things that I say is you can get off this call today, right now, and start a content calendar. You don't have to look backwards. It's about planting, you know, a stake in the ground and stepping forward. And so Excel spreadsheet is the easiest way of doing that because Everybody has Excel. I don't think I do, but maybe I do. I don't use Excel. I use everything in the cloud. Google Drive, which I guess is very okay, similar so sheets. to Excel. So I, I, I use Excel, you know, it's a spreadsheet. So I whether know. it's sheets in, 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 Google, um, in Google Workplace or, or online, whether it's, um, I think it's numbers in the Apple world, although I don't think anybody actually uses that. Um, it's about using a spreadsheet. Um, don't, the, the point is don't wait is, is start. Yeah. That's the simplest first step forward is getting a visual of the content that is planned in flight done where it lives. You know, we haven't even start. we haven't even touched on things like metadata and taxonomy, which is an, an integral part of making content operations more successful. Um, but the first step forward really is, I truly believe is a content calendar. That is the easiest nothing to stand in your way. There's, there's, I've yet to come up with a reason why somebody can't create a content calendar. Yeah, no, no disagreement from me here. And I think the other thing that helps too is to have a commitment, right? We publish this many articles a week or, or something like that. This many, some, whatever, this many new articles a week, one new article a week, others are updated. So you're committing to something, right? I mean, that helps as well. So in the last five minutes here or four minutes, I guess, uh, let's talk about you. You hinted a little bit at so we have the content creators. So I would consider myself a content person that creates content or optimizes content or whatnot. While I'm not horrible when it comes to technology, I would not call myself a content technologist of any stretch of the imagination. So when you just said, you know, metadata and taxonomy, I'm already like, oh, okay, goodbye. Uh, but that is important, right? So how do we how do we have those different roles on a team? And how does technology and, 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 and doing the technical things, I guess, how does that play in? Well, when you're developing a content operations, you've got to think about several aspects, right? So who's going to be part of the core content team? So that, that epicenter that is in content day in, day out of the go-tos, that kind of thing. The, what we would call the immediate roles. And then what are the supporting roles? Where are they coming from? Your content 
um, from an ideation perspective, your CPROs, so your creative professionals who are maybe, you know, taking your idea and creating that infographic or the visual or doing the videography if you're doing a video. Um, then you have to think about the technology you're going to use. And again, you can start off really easy. You know, something as simple as a, as a really simple, straightforward workflow tool will work wonders. And as I mentioned earlier, I, you know, most organizations have more than one choice of workflow tool already existing. Um, many CMSs have that built in. Uh, so leveraging what you have until you can get something better. Um, the big thing, which really is where a lot of companies get, get stuck, are the decision makers. Who has the thumbs up, thumbs down capability to approve content, to approve uh, the idea of the content? So if you're starting from, like I mentioned, that, that audience and ideation stage, who gets to say, yes, we want to pursue that? And then off you go and, and create the content. Um, defining audiences, who's involved in that. So there's so many facets um, that I think a lot of organizations and a lot of people don't think about when they think about content ops. They, they think about more of the, the tactical elements, the things that need to be done along the way, the writing, the editing, um, and then the publishing. But there's a lot of things that go into the nuances of that and, and getting a great piece of content at the end. Well, in the whole approval process point you just made, that's always interesting because you have to have somebody in that role, whoever it is, who that actually can get it done. And that also understands what their role is when it comes to approving. I'll give you an example. Uh, I've, I've written about this extensively. What should editors do? And here's one thing they don't do. Stop editing for preference. Even if you're the approver, what a waste of time because you like one word better than another word. That doesn't make the content better. Look at the big picture. How does that fit with our business strategy? I mean, is that what these approvers should do or should they turn into, um, no, Christoph, I like more commas than you. Well, approvers and editors are generally two different functions. So In theory, editing, right? <laughs> edit, copy editing is a skill and you know, Christoph, you're right. There is, I mean, we have unconscious bias in everything that we do. Right. But I, I have, we have an editor who I implicitly trust her opinion. So if she tells me that one word is better than the other, you know what, I'm going to go with what she says because that's her profession. That's why she does what she does. Right. So she knows better. That is not the same thing as approvers. Approvers should not be going through and looking at it from a content or copy editing perspective. It's about tone, perhaps. It's about the core concept. And it's about, yes, this aligns with our objectives and our audiences. So yeah. that's why the roles and responsibilities is one of the first things after you do your content calendar that needs to be defined. And those can evolve. Um, and it's not always one person to one role and responsibility. There can be one person doing multiple roles yeah. and responsibilities. There could be you know multiple responsibilities across multiple people. Yeah. Fantastic. Know the roles, have your calendar, get started and install a good content operations. Kathy, it was great to have you on the show. Nice to see you. Really appreciate you sharing your insights. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.